Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Thanks to everyone who supports Daily Tech News Show directly. To find out more, head to dailytechnewsshow.com slash support. This is the Daily Tech News for Wednesday, August 22nd, 2018 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from a chaotic studio feline, I'm Sarah Lane. Oh, you got to put canine in there soon. Uh, from Salt Lake City, where we finally have rain, I'm Scott Johnson. Ah, we bless the rains down in Utah mm. for you. It's been 10 days, 10 hot days without any, and a lot of smoke in the air from you guys. Thanks very much. So this came and schmooped it all out of the sky, cleaned us out. It's, it's awesome. It's like we had a bath. About time for some schmooping. I yep. agree. Uh, and Sarah, in less than five words, how's day one with the dog? Um... Yep. Okay. That, that's, that's about right. <laughs> <laughs> that's less than five words, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I think yeah, that yeah. correctly sums up day one with a dog. To be uh, continued. Nope. Our producer, Roger Chang, is here as well. Roger. Hello. Hello. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. Facebook's head of cybersecurity policy, Nathaniel Gleitcher, posted that Facebook and Instagram have removed hundreds of accounts and pages for coordinated inauthentic behavior, thanks to help from security company FireEye. All of the accounts were attempting to sway political opinion in the U.S., Syria, and Ukraine. The accounts appeared to originate in Iran and Russia, which was Twitter also announced that it had banned 284 accounts for coordinated manipulation, also originating in Iran. Yeesh. Uh, China has shut down at least eight, that's right, count them, eight blockchain-related news accounts on WeChat. Tencent, who owns and operates WeChat, said the accounts were shut down for publishing information related to ICOs and cryptocurrency trading in violation of regulations that demand content providers comply with, quote, national interests, unquote, and public orders. Uh, Separately, Beijing's central Choyang, I'm going to say, district now forbids hotels, offices, and shopping malls from hosting events promoting cryptocurrencies. A bit of a crackdown there. And Qualcomm has followed Huawei in announcing its next system on a chip will be built on the 7 nanometer process node. Qualcomm says it can be paired with the Snapdragon X55G modem and it is already being sampled to multiple manufacturers. They expect 5G mobile hotspots to ship with the chipset by the end of 2018 and smartphones with it in the first half of 2019. 
Well, let's talk about how fighting fires in California relates to your data cap, Scott. Well, let's get a little litigious. Not us, but some people. And by people, I mean states. 22 U.S. states have filed a lawsuit to reinstate net neutrality guidelines. An addendum to that suit uh, details throttling the Santa Clara County Fire Department's unlimited data account while fighting the Mendocino complex fire earlier this year. This wasn't that long ago. Santa Clara County Fire Chief Anthony Bowden uh, said Verizon slowed the unlimited account, or throttled it as we might say, despite being informed it was impeding crisis response and essential emergency services. Verizon uh, required the department to switch to a more expensive plan before restoring normal service. People used their own accounts or borrowed from other agencies until the billing department worked out the switch. Uh, Verizon told Ars Technica that a uh, it just was a customer support mistake and that its policy is to lift throttling in emergency situations. So they claim it was a goof. Uh, everybody's real mad at them for this. Yeah, it's a pretty bad customer support mistake, even if that's all, all it was. Yeah, it's a lives on the line customer support mistake. Like literally, yeah. like the, you know, the, the, the fire department fighting the Mendocino complex fire, which if you haven't heard about is one of many wildfires, uh, that were burning in much larger areas, uh, than, than past fires. It was one of the worst wildfire years, uh, on record for California. Santa Clara County fire was of course not alone in fighting it. Uh, but that's what they had to start borrowing data connections and, and scrambling. And that's something you don't need to deal with when you're fighting a fire. So Yeah. Uh, don't make that kind of mistake, Verizon. I, I'm, I'm usually fairly forgiving with like, hey, you know, we all make mistakes. But when it comes to emergency uh, preparedness and cooperation, if your policy is to cooperate, you make sure every customer support agent knows to do that. Uh, I, I, I would like to hear more about how they're going to make sure this doesn't happen in any case, earthquakes, volcanoes, whatever, in the future. Uh, whether it's a net neutrality violation or not is interesting. Verizon says, well, no, this is a plan that existed under the old open Internet guidelines. It wouldn't have been any different plan-wise. But the complaint system is different now. So as far as Santa Clara County goes, uh, they have to complain to the Federal Trade Commission now about this. And the Federal Trade Commission would look at it as a rate regulation thing, whereas before they could go straight to the FCC. Yeah, we don't, we're not going to have time to do it today, but it does bring up some interesting conversations that could happen around this stuff being a utility, whether we have it being, whether it's an officially a utility or not, where more and more cases arise where it's like we have to expect a company to behave like a utility with more regulation than they currently have. And I don't know, that could be an interesting discussion on the show, maybe a later date. Well, you know what else is interesting? Google Assistant now responds to the command, tell me something good, or you could sing it if you happen to like that song. Responses will include stories that are curated by the Solutions Journalism Network from a database of 4,000 stories focused on solutions to society's problems. For example, uh, reviving the honeybee population. I know I care about that. Or preventing teen alcohol abuse. Also a good one. So, yeah, it's not just fluff stories about, like, this cute kitten found a home. You know, like, guess what happened next? It's actually like these are important stories about positive advancements being made. Uh, The Solutions Journalism Network is not something I was aware of before this. And I I think that's fantastic. Uh, As a break from the constant drumbeat of negativity, you get in the news today and and not being like, oh, but I'm missing out. You're hearing important things. I just wonder if after you say, tell me something good, can you then ask it to tell me that you like it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope not. 
Um, but it is interesting. We're gonna we're moving. I get an answer. But you could certainly say that. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. <laughs> we're moving that local flavor new late night news story. The local flavor stories we used to always get on the news. You still get them, but it's mm-hmm. like later today, a cat was stuck in a thing, and here's what, <laughs> a dog who plays basketball. Yeah, we're basically moving that to, to services like this and i am 100 percent cool with it no um, we're not i mean i, I want to make sure that that point is clear dog playing basketball cat stuck in a tree not going to this this is like like substantive stories about like hey we're actually figuring out how to bring the honeybee population we've cut down on teen pregnancies like positive stories that mean something not just fluff yeah, that's the part I didn't get to yet. But yes, uh, the I would prefer less fluff. I don't need to know about dogs playing ping pong. I need to know about kids uh, avoiding alcohol abuse. How about that? That'd be great. Yeah, successfully avoiding it. Not- yeah. <laughs> in, in that vein, I almost feel like the phrase, tell me something good, it, it almost doesn't give enough courtesy to what the idea is because that does sound like tell me something nice tell me a joke tell me yeah yes tell me a fluffy story about a cat in a tree that should be a a separate service tell me something good but light Right. I don't need to hear about the bee population right now. I just want yeah, social injustice. No, I think I think this is fantastic. Uh, And you know, I mean, I know it's a it's a press release for Google Assistant. Uh, It's a feel good PR hit for them. But you know, sometimes if the feel good PR hit is got substance behind it, which this does, that's okay. So we'd like to see something similar. And maybe there is. If you know of an Amazon skill uh, that does this too, let us know. Maybe it's already out there and it just didn't get the press. MIT Media Lab researchers Fidel Adib and Francesco Tonalini have developed technology that lets submerged submarines communicate with contacts above the water. So the submarine's down there, but they can still talk to the boat up there or anything. The system is called TARF for Translational Acoustic RF Communication. Two parts, a speaker that resides with the submerged vessel where it would transmit audio signals, causing ripples on the surface of the water just a few micrometers in height. And the second part is a modified millimeter radar that would then scan the water, detect the ripples, and decode them. Using a technique called orthogonal frequency division multiplexing, complex messages can be sent. Currently, limitations of the system are one way only, from the sub to the plane. You can't send back down through the water. Uh, It can't be used when the waves are taller than six inches because you can't read the ripples. And large messages will take a long time to send. It's low bandwidth. Uh, But, Roger, I know this caught your eye. It's pretty cool. Yes. Uh, so the, the whole the whole idea is that uh, typically when you're underwater, you, you can't really send a message um, because, well, you're in water. And the whole and idea impedes it slows. It doesn't change the speed of light, but it slows the propagation. Right. It, it slows the propagation and it's and it's also salt water. So it's highly impractical unless you're near the surface anyway. For example, the Navy to communicate electronically with a radio signal. You have to trail a huge wire behind the boat, and it has to be near the surface. They don't have to necessarily break the surface of the water, but they have to be close to it. And even then, the messages are very short, right? They're very like, launch the missiles, don't launch the missiles. Uh, so the, the whole idea is not just submarines, but anything. Think of a, uh, 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 in a plane, the uh, um, black box, right? It sinks beneath. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> continually send out a very simple ping message that planes could then search for on the surface and, and scan the surface and say, oh, we got a, we, we got a hit plane possibly down here instead of trying to do what they do right now, which is look for debris 
which may have been shifted by by currents away from the original position, making it very difficult to to locate the wreckage uh, of a uh, of a wreck. And so this is like you know hugely advantageous. It's still in the development stage, but if they can get it working, I mean the possibilities, especially for civilian aviation, uh, is huge. Yeah, I mean think of the Malaysian Airlines search, uh, which never found all of the plane, only found bits and pieces of it and never found the black box uh this could have changed that entire search and it took a long freaking time yeah uh, i think this is super cool and it totally interests me but i went and saw that mega movie last night the megalodon thing yeah there's a whole lot of like submarine tech in there that is bunk and terrible so i feel like i am wholly unqualified in my current brain state to discuss this very much meg has polluted your ability to tell reality from fiction uh, you're gonna book. love that movie tom because you like faster movies yeah. but they, they go places in a tech way that is not and probably correct. in an in a uh an, in a it's probably gonna uh paleontologists are probably not gonna like it either is my guess <laughs> no. I, I you know i i i hope that other people listening to this will agree that when i first read the story i was like what so what is that what can't they just like pick up a satellite phone or something and talk to each other? I did not realize how difficult it yeah. was, particularly if a submarine was that far below the surface. And certainly the concept of saltwater never occurred to me. You know, you figure out ah, the military, you know, they know what they're doing. But um, the fact that so much work has gone into something that obviously is, is a beginning effort and it'll get better over time was pretty mind blowing to me. Yeah, it's a cool story. Yeah. Really cool. All right. What else is cool? If you're in India, anyway, Xiaomi announced the Poco F1 phone running Android 8.1 Oreo with a Snapdragon 845 chip, a 4,000 milliamp battery, Qualcomm's Adreno 630 GPU, a 6.8 inch 1080p display, fingerprint sensor, and face unlock, 20 megapixel selfie cam, and dual rear cameras coming to India for 300 bucks. Sounds pretty good. Well, some of it is some of it is not totally top of the line. It's using Gorilla Glass three, so that's three gens back. Has a plastic back, inexpensive speakers, no oleophobic coating. But Xiaomi product manager Jai Mani told The Verge that Xiaomi read Reddit forums, probably some other forums too, and determined from those that people really wanted bigger batteries and decent processors. So that's the phone that they're getting for the price. Xiaomi also reported revenue rose 68.3% in Q2 on strong smartphone sales combined with a rise in its connected devices section. Xiaomi reported net profit of 14.63 billion won compared to a net loss of 11.97 billion won a year ago. Revenue from outside China also doubled year over year for Xiaomi. And remember, uh, not too long ago, we reported that Xiaomi had taken over Samsung's lead in India. Uh, this is this is showing that Xiaomi is more than just the gimmick of we'll make a great phone at a cheap price and sell it online and keep our overhead low. Uh, they have moved successfully into India. And this is really interesting to say, you know what? We looked at Reddit and it turns out all the geeks were like, I just want a, a fast processor and a really long battery. I don't care if it's a metal case. I don't care if it's pretty. And so they're putting their money where their mouth is and saying, great, here you go. Top of the line processor, 4,000 milliamp hour battery, everything else kind of cheap, you know, uh, do you, do you want it at $300? I mean, it's impressive specs at $300, even if it's old Gorilla Glass in a plastic back. It's really smart, too, to target that underserved market because uh, this reminds me of, you know, PC users in a lot of cases don't really care how the thing looks. They just need it to work. They want the right processor. They want the right video card. This is that same thinking applied to mobile. It's a great idea. And, and clearly Apple and Samsung and the like aren't serving that. 
in these areas. No. Yeah. So go for it. Why the heck not? Hey, some news from Valve, one of my favorite companies in the world. Uh, Valve announced a beta version of Steam Play for Linux that uses Valve's Wine-based Proton project to let Linux users play Windows-only games. Uh, this is exciting for a number of reasons, but Steam Play now includes native Steamworks and OpenVR support and an implementation of DirectX, or sorry, Direct3D12 that uses Vulkan for high performance and DXVK, a Vulkan implementation of Direct3D11. Uh, games will also automatically recognize any controller supported by Steam, sometimes more than the Windows games themselves, which is kind of cool. Windows games uh, they are supporting today with the new Steam Play beta are Quake, Tropico 4, I don't know why not Tropico 5, but whatever, Star Wars Battlefront 2, Doom, Doom VFR, Payday, The Heist, Stalker Shadow of Chernobyl, and others to come. They're interesting games because there's a mix of very old and new here, or sort of new. That Doom game's only a couple years old. Doom VR just came out this year. Shadow of Chernobyl, though, is freaking ancient. So I don't know what the method to the madness is here, but I am excited to hear that they are putting uh, more of their weight behind uh, their their plans for Linux. It's good for gamers. Yeah, they basically just need to verify that it runs right. Uh, and and that and that the 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 company is okay with them selling. You know they're selling it to the Linux people, so they have to get the company whose who, whose game they're selling through Steam right. to say, yeah, okay, that's that's great. We we think it looks like it works right. You're right. Go ahead and sell it to people, and we'll you know and we'll be cool with that. So uh, the list is according to Steam going to grow as as they get more people to sign off. It is a, it is an interesting launch title. It's it's what they could get. Yeah, and they also, like, for example, Star Wars Battlefront 2. Some may hear that and go, oh, the one that came out last Christmas is uh, their big new hot thing? No, that is only available through the EA Store uh, Origin. You cannot get it on Steam. What they're talking about is the ancient Star Wars Battlefront 2, which was like 2003 or something. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the exact year. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I get, I'll get more excited as time goes on, as more people get on board. There's absolutely nothing that should be holding these companies back from wanting their experiences played on as much platforms as possible. And this is a great way to, to, to do that. And, you know, Valve and Gabe Newell and those guys, they love Linux. That's all they talk about anymore in there. They've, they've made their frustrations with Windows be known. They've tried a few things to see if they could not unseat things. Those didn't exactly work exactly. But this is a great step in that direction for people who want to be on that platform. Yeah, this is one of those intersections of promise and demonstration, right? It's not it's not just a bunch of talk because they actually have games that work coming out, but it's also not quite the fully realized system that they would like where the majority of Windows games are available. They're not. Uh, but at least you can see like, no, this will absolutely work. So the idea is if we can get enough studios to to let us do this, then you can absolutely buy a Steam box or just any Linux box that has the right specs and play your games and not worry about it, whether there are Windows-only exclusives or not. Yeah, and it just takes it further away from the hacker realm, which is fine, except that it was a little bit difficult for average people to figure it out. Mm. And I, that's always good with Linux. Well, and I'll be very curious. This is a little bit of a test of Satyamania. Uh, Windows is all about, Microsoft is all about open platform. As long as you can, you know, as long as uh, you can use us, use us everywhere. And Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. You're not actually using Windows here, so will they try to non-cooperate with this? Will they try to block people? We'll see. Yep. Folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. All right, sort of a related story. Uh, good old games, or GOG, G-O-G, uh, has been delivering DRM-free games since the mid-2000s. I remember when they first arrived on the scene and emailed us at Buzz Out Loud back at CNET uh, talking about bringing classic games back uh, where they could. Uh, they have really... Uh, made their name as a distributor of DRM-free games, uh, an open platform. They've now launched a site at fckdrm.com. You know what they're going for, but it doesn't actually spell it with the vowels. Uh, It promotes content without digital rights management. The site says that some people don't realize what DRM means these days, while at the same time, they complain about its effects, things like losing access to content or even just assuming you can do things like backup or access offline and then finding out you can't because the DRM prevents you. They also point out the danger of tracking as DRM always, almost always anyway, has to contact a server. Uh, GOG is owned by CD Projekt. Uh, the new site lists a few DRM-free alternatives. For gaming, they just list GOG. There's a bunch of others out there. In fact, there's a great site that's been around forever called opensourcewindows.org slash games uh, if you want to find stuff. But I think they're working directly with the people they list to list them, so they're not just trying to make a comprehensive directory. But for music, they list Bandcamp, 7 Digital, and eMusic. For books, they list Project Gutenberg and Open Libra. For video, uh, archive.org's Moving Image Archive and Vimeo, uh, Vimeo's On Demand section. And yes, we can talk about the fact that, well, not every piece of music you want, not every book you want, not every game you want is going to be available through these. So you're kind of stuck with DRM if you really want to get the top stuff in a lot of cases. But I think it's interesting that uh, GOG feels in English and German 
that they need to spread the word on this. Uh, I've been noticing that more and more people are assuming there is copyright protection, often where there isn't, uh, and acting as if DRM is just the the nature of the beast, that you'll always have DRM, even though, for instance, music on the iTunes store is not DRM'd. People, people seem to have just moved on from that. Yeah, it's interesting because CD Projekt Red is a company. Uh, they're based out of Warsaw, Poland. They first came to prominence with the original Witcher game. And um, Witcher 3 is considered 2015's best game of that year and maybe one of the best games ever made. So they've got that heritage. They're building that cyberpunk game everyone's excited about for next year or whenever it's going to come out. Um, They've got that half of it. They're a little like Valve in that way. Make a bunch of good games, establish yourself as a company. And then like Valve, they said, hey, there's an underserved market out there for old games. Because it used to be called, I mean, you would call it good old games. That's where it came from. The idea was, well, I'll go find this ancient game. And there's no DRM. You're kidding. That's great. I only paid five bucks for it. Oh, that's awesome. They have worked over time to build themselves into a legitimate competitor to Steam where I can go and get brand new AAA releases the same day and in some cases cheaper prices than I can at Steam and no DRM on those big releases. Now, it's not one for one. They don't have exactly the same catalogs. But what I'm reason I'm bringing all that background up is they've earned a position uh, where they can actually make something like this happen maybe more than somebody else could. Um, because it used to be, sure, I could get my 90s XCOM fix over there, but now I can get my brand new AAA fix. Why not see that kind of thinking carried over into books, music, and other places where they can parlay some of that success and that trust that they've built and make it a broader thing? The only real complaint I have about any of it, not really even a complaint, but a concern is their approach to it is a little edgy. Uh, you know, they're basically just saying FDRM in this name. And I hope what that doesn't do is stop somebody like, I don't know, big publishers of books from having a negotiation, from looking at this and saying, hmm, interesting. Wonder if part of our catalog would fit here instead of seeing it and going, oh, geez, this looks like internet trolls being, being dickish to the industry that we need to all try to work together on. And that's a concern. If they can, if they can, get past that, then I think this has real potential because these guys have proven they could do it at least in one sector. Why not these other sectors? Yeah, it's the, it's the balance of raising awareness with a, a flashy name that kind of gets across the point. Hey, guys, DRM's not okay. We can't let the fight down, which is what they're doing with this name. On the same token, Tor.com hasn't had DRM on their eBooks for a long time. I don't know that Tor would necessarily jump at the chance to associate themselves with fckdrf.com maybe they wouldn't mind i don't really i don't want to speak for tour but right. it's a consideration right there are going to be some folks who have the the right idea in mind bane books is another uh and and then maybe a different name would be required so it's like well do we use this name to kind of get attention from people and be and have our strong feelings on drm known and then switch it to fdrm later or something like that yeah, like an FDRM is actually probably could get away with a little bit more, but they also have a history of naming things something weird and then it turns into something else. Good yeah. old games is no longer about good old games. It's about a very different thing now. So I'm fine with it. Like I say, I just I worry about it being perceived as trollish, uh, but maybe that gets things done in our modern era. I don't know. I said something like that on Slack, and I'm not sure I'm, I'm totally with it or not, but it does seem like you can get some traction by being a little jerky sometimes and. 
again, I think their, their motives are pure. I think they really believe in this as a movement. They've shown that before. Now we get to see if anybody else wants to tie their wagon to those guys. And it'll be fascinating to see if they do. I guess no DRM.com was taken. Uh, probably. And DRM.com probably taken. Let's look. No DRM.com. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm yeah, saying part of it, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, if you're the owner of this website, please contact your hosting provider. Yeah, darn it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But again, yeah, it's it's it 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 sort of makes one sit up and say, well, What's this all about? But it's promoting something that obviously the um the folks uh who made it feel very strongly about. Yeah. And they're a cool company. They they got a lot of rad stuff going on. Although the other day they took some heat for kind of a questionable uh tweet. It was a little bit along the lines of what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, they claim it wasn't meant as anything that big a deal. They took it down and apologized. Uh, but they, you know, they're a little edgy. There's some cultural stuff. I don't know. They also didn't spell it with the vowels, which uh, faux pas in our, our chat room says, uh, when I want to curse around my children, that's what I do. I spell it out without the vowels. So right. they are right. taking some of that into account. They are, but they're also at the same time, it's just this sneaky little way of getting away with it. And it's like I say, it's not, it's just me questioning, is that the best tactic for what could be a genuinely, I don't know how changing it is or how much it changes the way we do things on the internet, but it could have a real effect on content and how people think of DRM. Now I feel like DRM used to be such a big issue and everybody was talking about it all the time and it's gotten quiet. You know, there's not as much concern or people don't think it applies to them as much or yeah. something. And well, and, and as we, is- as we all know, FCK DRM stands for, for community knowledge of DRM. Of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have to spell it out without the vowels. Sure. It's uh, it's just a really good Yeah. We appreciate that. <laughs> Spelling things out without vowels for kids. That is like a two step. Like you're really ensuring that the kids are, oh, no, no. <laughs> they can spell. Hey, thanks everybody who participates in our subreddit. You guys all spell very well, actually. You can submit stories and vote on others at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. You can also chat with us and others on facebook.com slash group slash daily tech news show. All right. What's in the mailbag? Glad you asked, Tom. Scott Napier, who is working at the Office of Protection Services for the Smithsonian Institution, has some more thoughts on this idea of hotels and safety and security. Uh, This is following up on our conversation with Shannon Morse about DEF CON and some of the stuff that she had seen in her week there. Scott says several of the larger hotels and the majority of hotels and resorts in Las Vegas do have multiple means and methods of checking people's bags upon entry for things like explosives or weapons. Now, without getting too much into the details of how this is working, there are devices at the primary and secondary entrances that are constantly scanning. There's personnel and staff trained on how to address these issues if and when they're discovered. The same systems are also used at a variety of museums, stadiums, performance venues throughout the country, and they go well beyond the standard metal detector and x-ray machine. These devices are still considered to be fairly new, but they're starting to be deployed on a much wider scale. Security professionals are typically not motivated to stay on the cutting edge because they can't afford to deploy unproven systems. It takes many tests and pilot programs to convince a security professional that the hype and the real world results are the same. Thank you, Scott. I love getting these kinds of emails from, from somebody actually working in an industry and yeah. with familiarity and then applying it to another industry like this. This is, this yeah, is fantastic. This is your show, dude. You have so many fans who mm-hmm. know this stuff because they're in it. 
it's the best. Like yeah. you're lucky in a way that I think a lot of podcasters have no idea. It's how this our works. show. Yeah. All of us. <laughs> um, we're also lucky to have Scott Johnson on sure. the show. We sure are. Um, and, you know, don't tell yourself anything different, Scott, but do tell us what's new in your world. Are we lucky? Are we? We are. Uh, yes, there are things going on. Uh, the internet, how does it work? Well, I try to make an attempt to make cool internet things all the time. And if you want to follow those things and see what I'm up to and check out my projects, you can do that over at frogpants.com. All the podcasts, all the art stuff I do, all that stuff is there. And uh, big plans coming up soon for some other stuff. Card fulfillment going out the door pretty quick here. All kinds of neat stuff. Again, that's frogpants.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Scott Johnson. Hey, man, don't be left behind. If you are wanting to take advantage of that amazing battery and, and processor that is the DTNS audience, you can talk to other folks in the audience at patreon.com slash DTNS in our Discord and on Slack. Uh, those are all available to people who support the show. Uh, even just a dollar a month, five cents a show, uh, gets you the show without commercials, gets you extra content, gets you a lot of stuff, uh, and the chance to talk with folks. So please uh, go check it out, patreon.com slash DTNS. If you have feedback, we'd love to hear it. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com is our email address. We're also live Monday through Friday. Join us if you can, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow. With Justin Robert Young. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.